0: Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied.
1: All right, welcome listeners. This is Pastor Joel with another episode of Theology Applied. In this podcast, uh, we are really doing our best by God's grace to not just take a particular doctrine or a particular text and exegete it, but to actually take the truth of God's Word and apply it to every realm of life. Um, faithful preaching is not coming before the people of God and saying, I have an idea or I have a concept or uh, I have a strategy, uh, but it's coming before the people of God and saying, I have a text. It's it's not man's word, it's God's word. And then faithfully interpreting that text, uh, not the meaning that, that we want to impute onto the text, but actually saying, no, this, this is God's word and this is what God means by his word. Uh, But faithful ministry, faithful preaching, faithful conversations, they actually go even beyond that. There is a revelation, a text from God's Word. There is um, an interpretation, faithful exegesis, but there's also application. And that's often where the church of God, especially in this season and our nation, uh, tends to get offended. Uh, they, They don't always get offended when we say, this is what God's Word means. Uh, But we certainly tend to take up an offense when we say, and in light of this, this is how you should live. This is what you should do. And so contrary to popular belief, uh, faithful ministry, uh, it applies to our lives and not just to our marriages and our parenting um, or to Sunday mornings as we gather as a church. uh, But we want to see all of Christ applied through his word to all of life, to politics, um, to entertainment, to the marketplace, uh, to media, to all these aspects of human society. Uh, Jesus has something to say about all of it and his lordship um, is reigning over all the earth, over all things. And so we want to to see that come to pass uh, to a greater and greater degree. So that's what this podcast is all about. Uh, Today I have the distinct pleasure and honor of introducing our guest, uh, Desi Mays. Desi Mays is a A Covenant member along with her husband at Apologia Church uh, where the lead pastor is Jeff Durbin. Uh, James White also serves as an elder there and she is the co-host with her brother Zach Morgan for a podcast called Provoked and she's also as a member of the church intimately involved in their ministry called End Abortion Now which has uh, really chapters in local churches all over the world and uh, by God's grace has been um, instrumental in saving the lives of, of now thousands of uh, unborn children. And so I'm very glad to have you, Desi, on the podcast. Thank you for coming on.
0: Oh, thank you. It's an honor to to be on the podcast. And, um, you know, just it's so special since you were my old pastor from San Diego. So I <laughs> yeah. feel very honored and happy to, to do this tonight. Yeah.
1: Praise God. I was, uh, I got, in God's providence and sovereignty, I got the pleasure of being Don and Desi's training wheels, preparing them for uh, Jeff Durbin and James White. So (laughs) when they came to our church, they were coming out of uh, a church that was a true church, not necessarily heretical, but just softer and and more seeker sensitive and um, kind of the old mantra of doctrine divides. And so maybe kind of steering clear of more controversial truths and so they came to the response Mm -hmm. and you guys I remember just your eyes just kind of lit up every Sunday you just ate ate up uh the preaching of the word and uh and now you've gone on to bigger (laughs) and better things
0: (laughs) (laughs) we love response too still that church will always have a special place in our in our hearts so
1: Yeah, me too. It's been a, a privilege uh, being a part of this church. So uh, that being said, uh, let's go ahead and dive right in. The first question, well, I guess first I'll just kind of title our episode. So this is, I've titled it, Abolishing Abortion, Dealing the Death Blow to the Culture of Death. Um, we, we, we want to really, uh, as Christians, we, we want to see abortion completely um, outlawed in our nation. It's, uh, it's criminal. It's cruel it's an abomination, Um, it's murder. And so um, I know that you've been very involved in this. And so I I wanted to talk about um, how do we win as Christians? How do we win this fight? And so before we get into it, maybe if you could just give us a little bit of your testimony and and how Jesus saved you personally.
0: Okay, sure, yeah. Um, I grew up in a non-Christian home. Um, I would have said that I was a Christian though. You know, we attended a church here and there. I had a very uh, fundamental <laughs> kind of understanding of what Christianity was. Um, and I, like I said, I would have said I was a Christian, but I, I absolutely was not. Um, until my late 20s, my brother Zach had um, started a church in San Diego and asked my husband and I to attend and um, kind of help them set up and break down because we were, they were renting out a space. And I always had a good relationship with my brother and my sister-in-law and so we agreed out of like familial you know, obligation and because I love my brother and because I said I was a Christian uh, <laughs> and so I thought hey no big deal um, but I really had never heard the gospel didn't understand the holiness of God um, yeah I wasn't a Christian um, my like my heart My lips confessed to know Christ, but my heart and my mind and my soul was so far from Christ. Um, So anyway, so we started going to my brother's church and going to Bible studies and hearing the gospel preached and going through the scriptures. And um, through that process, my husband and I were both saved. I think my husband was saved first. I remember seeing a change in him uh first and then I remember distinctly being in church one Sunday and my brother was preaching the gospel again and um I just felt like the fear of the Lord come over me and I knew I'm in trouble. I'm a sinner I need Christ you know I need a savior. And it was the first time for me because like you know the Bible says most men proclaim their own goodness. I thought I was a pretty good person. Um but after after the Lord opened my eyes and gave me a new heart and, um, mind, I was able to see the things that God wants us to see and understand more clearly. And I mean, I, I was so not a Christian before that it's laughable to me that I even thought I was, I mean, I was so liberal and so like pro everything God (laughs) (laughs) hates. Um, now looking back, it's, it's almost funny to see how blind I truly was. Um, and so, yeah, that's, kind of in a nutshell, how I became a Christian. And then shortly after um, the issue of abortion came up and I still was kind of working through these kind of worldly ideologies that I had adopted over the years, um, abortion being one of them. And I thought, you know, I know it's probably wrong and I would never do it, but who am I to tell somebody else that they can't, what they can't do with their body, can and can't do with their body. And so I remember I was pregnant with my first born son, Liam, and um, my brother had pointed me to Ray Comfort's video called 180, and because he knew I was struggling through the same, you know, I know it's wrong, but, but, you know, judge not, right, <laughs> and so I, uh, I watched the video, and the Lord just broke me, just changed my life forever, you know, he showed me the evil of abortion, um, that these are image bearers of God, that these are our neighbors, um, and so, after that. Um, I've just had an, uh, an immense uh, burden to try to speak up for our neighbors, these preborn children. Um, and we also had um, a burden to just share the gospel with everybody we knew and everybody we came in contact with because that's how we were saved. The gospel was shared to us and the Lord saved my husband and I and, um, you know, completely transformed our marriage and our lives and We just so want that for other people and (laughs) we want them to come to know the Lord. And so I would say evangelism and going to the abortion clinics, trying to fight for the preborn, is just two of my biggest burdens. And I'm a mom. I've got three, three little ones at home, a nine-year-old, a three-year-old and a two month old. And so, um, Yeah, my my first job is to be a mom and a wife. And after that, um, share the gospel and try to save babies. So
1: Yeah, praise God. That's great. It makes me think uh, when you're saying, you know, you you thought you're a pretty good person. And then you just, in the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of God's law, um, we're called to preach both law and gospel. And there was just this overwhelming sense of uh, that you were in trouble. You said, you know, and I I always uh, try in my preaching to, remind people that um that in many ways uh i think in the church today the love of the lord has been lost on a generation that has not been taught the fear of the lord and uh if we don't fear god if we don't see him as holy see ourselves as wretches apart from his grace uh, then i I think a lot of times when, when we tell people that god is loving without the backdrop of the holiness of god the sinfulness of men uh, the reaction that many people have is kind of like a—it's kind of like a nonchalant. It's, it's almost like an assumption. Like you say, God really loves you, and they say, "Of course. Why wouldn't He? I'm lovable." Like almost like like they would be more shocked if if you told them that God didn't love them, right? They you know they they would feel they feel as though uh, God is obligated to love them. Uh, how could He not love me? It would be immoral for God to do anything less than love me. And so the love of God is really lost on a generation, I think, today of people that um, God's love doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't astound the heart in the way that it should, because uh, we have people who, who don't fear God. And so ultimately, you know, we love him because he first loved us, First John 4:19. And so we have people who they're lacking affection for the Lord because they don't see the Lord's love for them. And they don't really, they're not wowed by the Lord's love for them because they don't properly feel uh, a fear of the Lord because they, they've missed his holiness. Uh, they've missed their sinfulness. And uh, it's concerning. I always think of the, the old hymn, Amazing Grace, the second stanza that says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved." I think we we're quick to do that second half, grace my fears relieved, the grace of the gospel being preached you know to people who are insecure, people who are anxious, people who are worried, you know, like it's okay, God loves you. Um but the first the first half of that line is "twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And it really is a gracious and loving thing of the Lord um to reveal to us his holiness and the fact that apart from his grace we stand condemned. And so it actually is the grace of God that first when when the true grace of the Lord comes to us, our first response is grace teaches us to fear, and then that same grace of the gospel brings us to the cross where those fears are ultimately relieved. But we can't skip the, sec- the the first part, and so we got a lot of people who want they want their fears relieved those those worldly surface fears of you know identity or significance or satisfaction they want they want these human fears relieved, uh, but first they actually need to 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 have conveyed to them an actual deeper fear, the biggest fear, which is there is a God in heaven and you're damned to hell unless you repent of your sins and cry out and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that right. fear sets the stage for all of our fears to be relieved in the salvation yeah. that we freely receive in Christ. So Amen. yeah, your testimony just reminds me of that. It sounds like you, you probably heard a lot of messages about God's love and just yeah. not very many messages about His holiness. So, That's right. So uh, getting more at the topic at hand, dealing with abortion, uh, what are some of the standards? This would be my question. So I know that you and many members at Apologia, you go to abortion clinics, uh, you stand outside, you preach God's word, uh, you plead with people who are going in um, that they would reconsider that decision. Um, so I guess one of my questions is this, if, if Christians want to get uh, involved in a ministry like that. What are some of the standards or the qualifications that a Christian should follow while ministering at their local abortion clinic? For instance, um, what are some of the things that you guys say? Like, would you, would you want somebody ministering with you who's not a member of a local church? Or would you want them, to, is there a certain level of experience? Uh, what, what are some of the things that like when people say, yeah, I want to go with you and participate in this ministry, how would you prep them?
0: Yeah, I would first of all say, you know, it's so important that you're under the covering of your local church um, and you have the blessing of your elders going out there before you go out. Um, That's really important because a lot of times you will see people kind of coming out as a lone ranger and it doesn't usually go well if there's no accountability Um, Mm -hmm. and that our motivation to go out before we even take one step out is that we're doing it out of love for God and love for neighbor. Um, and that is why we're doing it. Um, two children every minute are executed in our country. And so that's like 1.6 million a year, I think, Six, nearly 60 million since Roe. Um, yeah, yeah. So just knowing the gravity of that, what's happening um, every day, um, kind of gives you an urgency to go out and kind of um, sets your mind at, you know, the the daunting task ahead of what we're, we're kind of looking at here, this beast of abortion, um, but the necessity for Christians to stand up and go out. But I would say like the qualifications would be, yeah, go ask your, um, your, your pastors, if, if they, if you have their blessing and then, um, you know, there's many roles out there. There's preachers, there's men preaching, there's women out pleading. Um, there's women out handing blessing bags, people that hold signs, pass out tracks. So I don't think you need any, uh, formal training or anything. Okay. I know when I first started going out, I, um, just held a sign and white knuckled it <laughs> because I was so scared <laughs> and nervous. Yeah. But as yeah. I went out more and more, it was kind of like, you know, working out at a gym or something, you know, you kind of train your muscles and I began to pass out tracks and then I began to have one-on-one conversations and um, the Lord kind of gives you more and more courage as you go out. And also, as you see other people going out as well, it you know emboldens you. Um, and then, of course, when you see actual babies saved, that is a life changer. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I would say the qualification is to be a Christian.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Yep. That's really helpful. Um, so then what would you say? So this is something that I've, I've heard Christians say fairly often. Uh, we, we have, you know, a group of individuals that will go to abortion clinics and and preach on Saturdays and, and other times throughout the week. Um, I, I wholeheartedly believe in street preaching. I think me and you might be talking about this on your podcast in the near future provoked, but, um, I'm a a big believer in riot evangelism. As I look at the book of Acts, I think that uh, I don't see a lot of friendship evangelism or relational evangelism. This idea that you know you have to earn a right uh, to preach the gospel to someone. I think that that right is already ours in Christ Jesus, and um, and ultimately. Uh, We, you know, the the right is that we first we've been loved by God. Secondly, in return, we love God, and thirdly, because we love God, we love our neighbor, like you're saying, and um, we don't need our neighbor to be convinced that we love them before we love them, right? So, like that, just it's like circular reasoning. It doesn't even make sense that, like, because relational evangelism, I think a lot of what it purports is it says. Uh, You need to convince your neighbor that you love them by not loving them because the most loving thing you could do is preach to them the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work at Calvary. And so (laughs) relational evangelism basically says you need to withhold love from your neighbor in order to convince your neighbor that you love them so that you can then begin to actually love them. And so I would just reject the whole principle on its head. That said, um, I believe in street preaching. I believe in riot evangelism. I believe in going in, for preaching the truth, and, uh, and letting the cards fall where they where they may. And so sometimes that means getting kicked out of a town. Sometimes that means getting thrown in prison, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, but a lot of people don't, they, they don't like that. They don't think it's loving. Uh, they don't think it's kind. So how do you respond to people like that who would say, you know, preaching outside of an abortion clinic or holding a sign or passing out tracts or pleading with people not to uh, to murder their children. Um, people who, who say that that's not loving, that doesn't look like Jesus. Uh, people would reject street preaching in general. Um, the two things that I always hear is people say it's not loving or if you can convince them that it's loving, uh, I still hear people say it's not effective. So so what would you say So the person says, this isn't loving or this or if it is loving, I just don't see it being fruitful. I don't see it being effective. Uh, What case would you make for why Christians should minister in this way?
0: Yeah, I mean, to to say it quite bluntly and not to be rude, I would say, well, respectfully, you need to read your Bible. Um, Because all throughout scripture, we see the people of God being the salt and the light of the culture around them. Um, we see them bringing the gospel into conflict with the evil around us. Um, like you said, bringing the light of the gospel um, is the most loving thing wow. that we can do. Um, real people are being murdered. People that are made right. in the image of, I would say to a Christian, of your God, to of our God. Mm-hmm. The image of our God is being slaughtered and executed um, every single day. Um, and so... While it may seem abrasive to you, we need to understand the urgency um, of what is happening. And if you were being being brought to the slaughter, if you were going to be systematic, you know, if you were being brought into right. a building to be killed, I sure hope that somebody would be there to contest what was happening. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's biblical what we're doing. Of course, there are bad examples. I think sometimes people look at a bad example of street screechers or people that go out and do it in an unloving way, in an unbiblical way. Um, but because it's done poorly doesn't mean that the act is actually wrong or biblical, uh, or unbiblical, just because we have some bad examples. We look to right. Christ as our perfect example right. and not to other people. Um, yeah. Amen. So that's, that's what I would say. Well,
1: that's great. Yeah, that's great. I, I think, we, we want to imitate all of Christ. We want to be like Jesus. And and one thing that I just always have to wrestle with as a pastor is um, there are certain aspects of Jesus that I think, uh, basically the sentiment is that Christians will say, yeah, well, I, I want to, I want to imitate Christ in one arena, but not another. And uh, in, in so like, I think of, you know, Christ and his polemic, um, the, the sense that, um uh, his discourse with the religious rulers of his day, which is which is different than what what you're doing at a at a, an abortion clinic. Um, it's it's not a showdown between you and the Pharisees, um, but but even you know just even Christ's polemic and you know his his he uses satire. He would use even sarcasm. Uh, you know like you you know you you strain a gnat but swallow a camel, or you're whitewashed tombs. You look nice and bleached and clean on the outside, but on the inside you smell like rotting death and uh that's strong language and and so we look at Jesus and we say well that's Jesus um but but then but then in the same breath we say well we should imitate the way that Jesus loves and it's like well yeah but like so what makes you think that you can love like Jesus does nobody loves like Jesus does but we try right and no and nobody's going to uh have the courage that Jesus has but we try you know and so the fact that some people have they, 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 the, the fact that we we fail to love like Jesus does doesn't stop us from saying you should love like Christ. And the fact that we fail um, to to preach and evangelize and be bold as Jesus is, right? Those bad examples like this the street screecher you know who's just screaming and yelling and and uh, and it's hateful. And it's just kind of I don't know maybe he's just trying to get get a viral YouTube video or something and it's not really loving. Um, well, the fact that I mean that that would be like looking at someone who's trying to love like Jesus and failed at loving and then we just say for all Christians let's let's just from now on let's just not try to love anymore. That's just you know what I mean. That that just it's absurd. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I knew you would agree. Um, okay, so well that that being said. Um, In line with abortion and kind of getting a little bit political here uh, that's that's one of the kind of the arenas that we want to apply theology to i think that's just it's become a no-no in the christian world that you know just um, churches and pastors and pulpits just shouldn't deal with politics Um, but in the same way as christians well we just we have multiple identities our our truest identity is that we are in christ we are uh, adopted sons Uh, god is our beloved father um, and Christ is our elder brother and so our truest identity we're a new creation in Christ Jesus uh, but then at the same time I who am in Christ Joel Webbin is in Christ but he's also a husband a father a pastor and I'm also a citizen of the United States of, of America and so I have you know I have responsibilities in vocation and in the home and and as a citizen I have civil duties all these things and the word of God applies to all of it and so That said, um, I think that Christians have a duty to vote. um, And I I think that we have a responsibility to vote for life, um, to uh, character matters. um, But at the end of the day, um, I I think policy matters even more. And so in a perfect world, if we had two God honoring candidates with God honoring policies, and then one had better character than the other, then we we would vote for the one with better character because character does matter. Um, but sadly, we don't live in a perfect world, and we do live in a two-party system where uh, you may have bad character, but if one policy is is for life um, and, and another policy is for murder and all forms of sexual immorality, then I, I think as a Christian, the choice is clear. But sadly, not every Christian thinks that way. And so recently, um, someone that I respect and appreciate very, very much, uh, John Piper, he recently wrote... An article called "Policies, Persons, and Paths to Ruin," and um, and he dealt with kind of re- really kind of just um, pitting uh, abortion and arrogance against each other, and um, and and really kind of made a case I think for just not voting at all. Or or sadly, I don't think this was his intention, but I, I, I'm concerned that some Christians will will look at that article and use that as a opportunity to assuage their conscience for not voting or even voting for for Biden um, and and voting for the Democratic Party and abortion. And so I'm just curious, um, at a political level, you want to go to abortion clinics, you want to preach the gospel, you want to adopt children as a church, all these different things. But at the political level, do, do you think what do you think about Piper's article? Do you think that a Christian with a clear conscience can could could vote uh, in this upcoming election for Biden? Or what what do you, what do you think?
0: Yeah, um, like you said, I have so much respect for Pastor Piper. I mean, I, I've followed him for years, listened to his uh, daily devotional, uh, been so blessed by his books, and um, yeah, I, I have so much esteem and love for. John Piper, but I I disagree with him on this one. Um, We're kind of looking at a category difference, I think, between arrogance and child slaughter and the destruction of the family unit. Um, We know, so I didn't vote for Donald Trump in 16. Neither did I. Like a a lot of Christians just couldn't do it. Um, My conscience wouldn't allow me to do it. Um, But we're going into 2020 and we know that a a Democrat, Biden or whoever, is going to want to usher in more child sacrifice to fight for that quote-unquote right. Um, Mm -hmm. They want to bring in the destruction of the family through LGBTQ, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the BLM statement. I think that they've removed it from their mission statement now, but it, Yeah, 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 but it did say They want to destroy the nuclear family, the idea of the nuclear family. Um, And so we know that these ideologies are going to be ushered in by a liberal president, right? Uh, Where we know Trump has his own sins. And I know the sin of pride and arrogance and adultery and uh, whatever else is very, very important. And I'm not saying it's not egregious. um, Mm -hmm. But can you imagine if we were living in the times of slavery? And we had two presidents that were uh up for the presidency, or two people, two men up to be elected, one who was going to promote the ongoing um slavery and brutality of black people, and one that was going to fight against it, but maybe this guy he was arrogant or he just was a sinner right. <laughs> right. and who who should we vote for? They're both right. sinners. one's gonna fight to end something. The other one's not, um, and it's not only, I mean, I feel like, um, you know, the destruction of the family unit and abortion are like the two big ones. We could right. just stop there, but it's also, like you said, um, the social Marxism, you know, right. it's just socialism. Yep. Like there's just yep. so many things that I think that if we step back and go, okay, how do we, how do we do this, God? How do we glorify you in our vote? I think we're going to go Towards the person and platform that is more in line with what God wants us to do than the other. And yep. I'm sorry, but the Democratic yep. platform is anti-God, it's anti-Christ. It and so yep. I think that we can vote with Trump for Trump with a clear conscience because we know he's not promoting. So I've had people say, you know, how can you vote for a serial adulterer? Well, his platform's not promoting right. serial adultery. Right. It's different. Biden's platform is promoting the murder of children. So that's
1: it. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, there's, yeah, I just think it's a false dichotomy. So I love what you said right there at the end. There's, there's a difference um, in in having marred character versus actually having um, a a platform, an agenda that's uh, that's pushing towards sin, that's pushing towards immorality. So, so to have a flawed man pushing for righteous policies righteous policies not a righteous man not righteous character Um, as far as i can tell i hope that donald trump's a christian but as far as i can tell if i had to guess i'd say probably not and um because one of the truest marks of a christian is repentance and he doesn't seem like a man who's willing to admit um when he's wrong just statements that he's made like you know i don't ask for forgiveness um my you know what i do instead is just don't ever do anything wrong. So, you know, so that's not a very Christian statement. So, uh, so none of that is to endorse the person, the man. Uh, but there's a difference in being a, a, um, a, a sinful man advocating for a righteous policy versus being, uh, in the case of, of Biden, being a, also a sinful man, but who just looks a little more clean cut. But who's advocating for a, a policy of, of rank immorality, murder, perversion? Um, it, it you know just a you know so I think for me that the dichotomy is false in that regard. I think it's also false um, because it, it assumes that that one party, or in this case one individual person, has a monopoly on pride. <laughs> and the idea that uh, I, I think that's just uh, that, that just fundamentally misunderstands the nature of pride, um, and so uh, nobody has a monopoly on pride. Uh, we, you know, when it comes to pride, we're all socialist, We share. Uh, <laughs> everybody, everybody gets a piece of pride, and uh, and so um, so really, what, what you're not looking at, at the the prideful guy versus the you know the LGBT abortion. It's, it's two prideful people, and there are just variations in, in, in the way that pride is expressed. One is much more, it's just a much more blatant, visible expression of pride. Uh, but even that, right? That, so there, like, I think of, you know, like Hollywood might make a movie, for instance, where um, the movie's very, the, there's just the whole theme and the style of the movie is very dark. And it's, um, it's, you know, it's filled with drugs. I think of like Breaking Bad. Right, so I, I didn't watch all Breaking Bad because it just I, it was too bad, <laughs> you know. So, I, I, but I watched some of the episodes, and I started feeling convicted. But, but the point is this: at the end of a Breaking Bad episode, uh, nobody walks away thinking, I, "I'd really like to start making crystal meth." Um, the, right? So, like, even though it's all about drugs and it's all about selling drugs and and building an empire and taking over, you know, a, a whole area and all this kind of stuff. Um, the, the even in the name of the show, it's Breaking Bad. Like it, it, it indicates it clearly conveys like this is immoral, this is wrong, and and the result of you know the lead character um, is is that uh, his life is utterly destroyed. It's um, and so so even though it, it contains all these different expressions and types of immorality, um, it doesn't glorify them. And so I think there's a difference in sin being present versus sin being glorified. And so to, to relate that to you know Trump, um when I when I look at his Twitter account, um, I don't think, man, arrogance looks good. I should try it out. <laughs> right? so when I look at his Twitter account, I think, gosh, that's so embarrassing. Why did he say that? dear God, please, do I sound like that? I hope I don't sound like that. You know, like those are kind of the responses that I have. Whereas Joe Biden, I I, I think theologically, there's no way that we could, for one, this just can't even really be measured because we're dealing with someone's heart. But number two, it, it, even if we could somehow measure it, I, I doubt that Joe Biden is actually more humble at the level of the heart. Uh, be, because because out of the heart, not only does the mouth speak, we see that with Trump, that mouth is speaking. Um, but, but out of the abundance of the heart, the hands and the feet are swift to shed blood, right? It's a prideful heart that, that kills a million babies a year. There's no such thing as a humble heart that murders children. That, is a just, that does not biblically exist. That's a false category. And so in order to have those policies um, it, it assumes, from a biblical standard, it assumes pride. So I think biblically we have to look at both candidates and both parties and say both are arrogant, and and one one's arrogance is is much more visible, a much more visible expression at the at, at the level of speech, but but it but not in a glorifying way. If anything, every Christian I talk to comes away the way I do, saying. I don't want to. I don't want to sound anything like that. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I, I for him. I and then, but then the other one uh, has, you know, uh, uh, a, a a sensible demeanor and and a, a, a warming charm and and a good smile and and it actually looks. So for me, I think with sin, I'm I'm always more concerned about the sin that looks more appealing, the, the sin that is more subtle. And, and uh, yeah, and so I, I just, so anyways, I look at that and I, to, to, to say the dichotomy is arrogance versus abortion and arrogance, you know, has more, e- you know, potentially more eternal ramifications than murder. And first, I, I don't even know if that's true. And, and then secondly, I just think it's a false icon dichot- It's not arrogance versus abortion. Both are arrogant. Nobody has a monopoly on pride. We have two different uh, expressions of pride. Uh, one is, is more blatantly arrogant, but also in many ways doesn't glorify arrogance, but actually makes it look bad and unappealing. It actually, I think, works as a deterrent for Christians away from wanting to be arrogant. But then the other, uh, I think arguably, is probably just as prideful at the level of the heart, but actually makes arrogance look good at the level of speech. And then with policy and action, it, it's hands and, and feet that are swift to shed blood, uh, engaging in, in all kinds of, of immorality, and not just a history of adultery, but but by policy, pro adultery, pro sexual immorality, pro murder, and so I just, for me, I just, I, I just don't even understand how how the two can be compared. And I think my biggest concern as a Christian, as a pastor, is just um, my concern is that although I, I, I think the the highest I feel that you could possibly think about John Piper. I don't think that he I don't think he recognizes I know John Piper's not malicious i I know that his intentions aren't aren't wrong or or, or immoral, but I, I i just I think that there is just to me it's just another example that the church, historically at least for the last few decades, has just seemed to be so ignorant and weak on 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 politics and and the implications. And, um, and yeah, and I I just, I don't, I, I'm concerned that there would be a lot of Christians because there's so much influence with, with a man like John Piper. I'm concerned that there would be a lot of Christians, not that necessarily will vote for Biden, but who, who are going to go out and, and who are going to try to vote for life, not a Twitter account, but policy and life, but who now um, have been given an excuse, have had their consciences assuaged. To do nothing, and I think that's I don't know what do you think? do you think that's a fair assessment?
0: I do I do I, I really like the way you explained all that, and um, yeah we we have to fight this this beast with everything we've got. Obviously, yeah. you and I agree that abortion is going to be ended by the gospel being preached and people right. being brought from death to life, um, right. being able to see it for what the the evil that it is. Um, But I also think that these people that now see that should do everything that they've got in their power to stop it, including voting for a platform or a person that's going to more likely uh, help us to do that. So, Amen. uh, Yeah, we go go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Oh, I just uh, I was kind of talking about it with um, the elders and some of the deacons, right, as I was coming in. And one of the deacons had said something that I thought was was insightful and he said you know because we all love pastor piper so much and one of the deacons said hey i uh i love john piper but maybe he just has never put flesh and bones on uh this thing maybe he's never held a baby that's been saved by abortion i think Mm -hmm. um pastor John Piper has an adopted child, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. yeah, um, so, and I know that he's had some amazing, uh, sermons and talks he about has. abortion and yeah. what an abomination it is. And yeah. I know he's very adamantly, uh, an abolitionist, I think, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, he wants it to end immediately. Um, mm-hmm. but sometimes we can, um, kind of step away and not really see things as clearly if we don't put flesh in bones on it you know what i mean It's right. kind of an abstract yeah. concept rather than an actual living person in front of me yeah you
1: yeah know? i yeah i think yeah i think that's probably true i think that's insightful like just um maybe at, at just a personal level being a little bit too far removed i i think that's possible and i i think for me i think probably also just um I I I I know that he wants abortion to end and and he's worked very hard toward that. I think there's some some guys I've just realized that um it, it's not like a lack of commitment to um to, to fight against evil uh but it's a lack of faith not in, not in God but uh in in terms of ending ending lawlessness through through specific avenues. And so like like you said you know that ultimately we're gonna, you know, we're gonna end abortion through preaching the gospel and uh, and hearts going from death to life. And so you're you're speaking of ultimately like the, the the church triumphs through uh, not through coercion but through and not even legislation, um, but which would be coercion, um, but but through persuasion. And so to the to the church has not been given a physical sword. Uh, everything the government does, it does it at gunpoint, including you know requiring taxes like if you don't pay your taxes eventually someone will show up and if they show up and you still don't pay your tax, eventually a gun will come into the picture everything that the government does is at gunpoint meaning that it's um it's it is coerced and um and that doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong so long as they're legislating righteously um then god has given them that gun you know romans 13 says a, a sword it's a physical sword to coerce and it's meant to deter evil and to reward righteousness and um and to the church has been given a sword, uh, but it's the sword of the spirit. And so, rather than a physical sword with coercion, it's a, a spiritual sword for persuasion. And so we preach, and uh, and we persuade, and um, and we deter evil in in that regard. And I think for some Christians, I think it's just it's just still too much of that separation of church and state, um, w- w- which which I, I know what they mean by that. I agree. But there's a difference between church and state versus a separation of, um, of Christ and state. right? Okay. So like, we, we don't want a state-run church and we don't want a church-run state. But, but um, when we say that the church and the state should be separate, we're not saying that Christ and the state should be separate. We believe that the state should be Christian in the sense exactly. that, uh, that it should legislate moral laws and morality. Ultimately, the standard for morality is, is God's Word. So, you know, so it's it's either man's law or God's law. And so God's law is what should be legislated and what should be enforced. And I think a lot of Christians have just, they've forgotten that. So it's, it's not that they're, that it's not that they're apathetic. It's not that they don't want to see abortion ended. I think they just, they've, they, they don't have any faith or, or even a theological framework for ending abortion through the state, through legislation but like right. so you know you're, you know we say like we're going to we're going to beat abortion through regenerate hearts and and i agree with you at the same time i would push back just a little bit and say like uh, we we as a nation we've beat first degree murder outside of um, the children in the womb uh, without regenerate hearts that's true a ton of people who are unregenerate yeah. don't love jesus in their heart romans 8 you know uh, 7 uh, they're hostile towards god not just neutral and different but hostile towards god and yet, we have by policy on the books laws that a premeditated murder, um, you're going to be punished. And that doesn't right. mean that murder doesn't happen. But we don't have right. a million murders, first degree murders, a year. It's mm-hmm. it's it's much smaller than that, um, because because in God's law, the, the 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 number one way He deters us from evil, is by giving us new hearts. But He also right. deters even the wicked, um, from evil, through through sword through the the, the threat of penalty through coercion through and so and i i want christians to get that also so i I, like let's plant churches let's make disciples let's preach the gospel and see people converted from death to life but let's also take the christians we have we don't have to we don't have to win the whole nation in terms of each and every individual person being born again in order to outlaw abortion those christians who who are christians uh let's go to abortion clinics let, let's cry out but let's also let's run for office let's uh let, we need christians in 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 the civil magistrate and fighting for and and i think that that we've just we've taken the whole realm of politics the whole realm of 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 civil magistrate and government officials and we've just kind of i don't know if we've demonized it but i think we've just we've made it vain and empty and insignificant Whereas, like every every young man I talk to, if he's serious about Jesus, he wants to be a pastor. Whereas, like I like, and that was me. And but now, I like, I really want to encourage young men if they're serious about Jesus, um, to also consider r- running for local office. And uh, sure. be, because yeah. we really do have the ability, a Christian in the state in the church is one thing. Uh, we preach, we persuade. But but a but a Christian, those multiple identities. You know, you're in Christ first and foremost, but then a husband and a father. And, well, if your vocation is that you're a senator, who who is a Christian following Christ, then uh, then to you actually has been given a sword to legislate through coercion, righteousness and life. And and I think um, I I'm not saying Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned tomorrow, but man, I like God continues to give us uh what what we what we need rather than what we deserve. I don't know why right. some of the things are happening that are happening right now. We don't deserve it as a nation. Um, I, you know, but God is being so merciful right now and I just feel like we, we have we have an opportunity and and I think we need to seize it on every front on, on the okay. church planting, preaching front, on the civil magistrate, run for office front, on the mm-hmm. November 3rd, get off your butt and go vote front, yeah. you know, on every front.
0: Oh, absolutely. And
1: so yeah.
0: And going back so, to what you said, you know, we, we see it all the time. We see non-believers fighting for things that <laughs> you would think only believers would, you know, right. like if, so yeah. what well, I mean look at look at all the, the Catholics that are right. out, that's you know, right. fighting to end abortion. So yeah.
1: anyways yeah. Um, that's a perfect yeah. example. And I always say, like, when people say, like, can, Catholic, uh, or, uh, can Catholics be Christian? I always say, absolutely, uh, despite Catholicism, but not because right, of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so there, are plenty, there are plenty of Christian Catholics, but, but the reason why they're Christian Catholics is because Christian Catholics are bad Catholics. If they were good Catholics, they wouldn't be Christian because they would follow Catholic doctrine, which absolutely, you know, you know opposes Yes. Go ahead.
0: And then, like, we'll see. We'll be out just handing out, you know, gospel tracts sometimes, and it's the funniest thing happens. Uh, you know, a non-believer will be like mocking us or scoffing, and they'll what do they do? They get our tracks and they go and pass them out. <laughs> Other people really? like, hey, look at this; it's so funny huh. in a mocking way. But God will use the wicked <laughs> for yep. His own purposes. So, That's yeah, funny. I, I totally that agree. happens. Oh, yeah, it's happened oh, more right. than once where they'll grab and then they'll show their friends and they'll say, "Hey, did you right. see this?" and suddenly they're distributing tracts wow. <laughs> they're not doing it in a way yeah. uh their heart isn't in the right place, but they're still handing that gospel track over to somebody right. else to read so wow
1: that that's I mean that's exactly what the apostle Paul says you know when he says like some people you know while while he was imprisoned, there are people who are preaching and he says and and their their exclusive mo- motive is it is to mock me. They're like, Mm -hmm. it's almost like, like they're preaching the gospel sarcastically. uh, And, but, but it's funny, like Paul says, but uh, whether by false motives or true, like I I praise God that Christ is being preached. And if, and, and, and if they were preaching, if these are people who are preaching a false Christ, Paul wouldn't be thanking God. There are plenty of Judaizers and plenty of false teachers that Paul adamantly opposed. And and he said, "You know, don't don't listen to them." And uh, but then, but then it seems like there's this other group that's like they they they're they have the right message, but 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 the wrong motive. And uh, Paul thanks God for for that. And so it's it's yeah, it's it's funny that uh, it's funny that somebody could literally they're not even doing it for the glory of God. And it, for us as Christians, it's like what like there's no reason to do the things we do as Christians and, and, to, and to preach the things we preach as Christians, if not for the glory of God and the good of his people. And yet and yet in God's providence though, whether it be to mock Christians, whether it be sarcastic or whether, I don't, I don't know, but we look through all of scripture and there's just example after example of like Cyrus or Nebuchadnezzar or King Darius, or there's just like example after example of, of people who, it's not it's it doesn't seem like they're a Christian, and yet they, for whatever reason, God raised them up to assist the people of god and and i and that's how I think of getting back to politics like i I you know that i I just that's what I think of i I think like Christianity and the Republican Party are not synonymous. Republicanism right. is not the gospel it's it's not the scripture, and yet in God's providence there 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 are there are there are measures of his common grace and i think of ben shapiro i i praise god for ben shapiro is he a christian no he doesn't believe that jesus is the son of god so of course he's not a christian if he died tonight he'd be in hell and i'd be super sad about that cuz i really love ben shapiro and you know but like but he's a wonderful example i think of God's common grace and right now between Trump and his administration, uh, we have, well, for one, we have examples of God's special grace, like I believe Mike Pence is a Christian, but, but then we have so many examples of God's common grace. And I think as Christians, we, I think that we just have to, we have to nuance it a little bit. We have to just take the time in our language to say, look, I'm not saying that republicanism is the gospel. I'm not saying that all these guys are Christians, uh, but I am saying that there's a standard and so I'm able to look at policy, I'm able to look at practice, I'm able to look at people, at all these things, and I'm able to, I'm able to take that and measure it against the standard, God's standard. And I'm able to look and say, all right, this man is not a Christian, but this policy is, is in line with God's word. And so I, I don't have to just it's not black and white. It's not all or nothing. It's not, you know, I don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I can thank God for his common grace. I don't know why this guy is on my side. I don't know why he's doing the things he's doing, but I'm able to, to, to identify that. And I'm able to set, so I don't have to say Trump has an arrogant Twitter account. Therefore, I'm never going to vote for him. And I also don't have to, on the other side, I don't have to uh, take a picture with Donald Trump and say that he's my mentor and and yeah. the the holiest Christian that's up you know what I mean and Christian it's just like they're on both sides. It's like either Donald Trump is the devil or or donald trump um should should you know when he's finished being the president, maybe he'll be my next pastor and it's like right. what like like i i there's there, it's more nuanced than that. I can say yeah I, I there's there's some concerning things, and yet at the same time there's, there's some good things and we can take one without the other. And I think we can just nuance it and just be a little bit more mature and a little bit more discerning and, and, and careful with our language. And, um, and we, it doesn't have to be so black and white. We thank God for common grace. So, all right. Well, any, any kind of last thoughts or ideas that, come to you about the topic of abortion how christians it doesn't have to be politics but just at, at any i don't know any takeaways of how how christians can do their part to end abortion
0: yeah i just think of um first john 318 little children let us not love with word and tongue but indeed in deed and truth you know we like you said we need to do everything we can to love our neighbors you know and that includes voting and getting out there go to the abortion clinic um you know, I think it really starts at home educating our children um, about the sanctity of life. Um, I talk to my children about it all the time Um, and children, they know, they know, (laughs) like, I mean, I just had a baby and they knew that their little brother was their little brother from the time that he was conceived till the time he was born. And so I think starting at home and, and raising up our children to, Fight this fight when we no longer can. Hopefully, they won't have to. Hopefully, it'll be ended before that. Um, but yeah, go out, go out to the abortion clinics. Go, go vote for somebody that's going to be more in line with that. Go um, adopt children. There's so many things Christians can be doing, um, but we need to be the salt and we need to be the light, and we don't need to shrink back. I think now is the time to fight, and we need to fight with all that we've got.
1: Amen. Yeah. I I like that. I think that's a good way to end this episode. It's just, let's do it all. I think that's, that's the pushback that we would get is just some people would say, you know, don't, don't go out there and preach at people at an abortion clinic, like just adopt babies or just train your children about. And, and, and I think I would want that person if they're watching this to just to hear you and to hear me saying that, look, we're not advocating for one as a substitute for the other. We do it all go adopt a baby. And yeah. and then take that baby with you, to the abortion clinic, and and preach life. And so j- just yeah. do it all. And um, yeah. So that's good. Thanks so much, Desi, for coming on the show. Um, can can you tell us how to follow you? I, I I know some of our listeners would love to keep up with you.
0: Yeah. Um. You can go to Apologia Studios. Um. We have a podcast called Provoke. Um. So you can look at a, look us up there where we have Instagram. Um. I'm all, We're also on. All the um, the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, um, yeah. You can if you want to learn how you and your church can get more involved in the fight, you can go to End Abortion Now and get free resources and training. Um, there's a ton of good, amazing content on there on um, how to get started in doing abortion mill ministry. Um, and we've had churches all actually across the world that have joined, and we've lost count of how many babies have been saved through End Abortion wow. Now. So if that's something that you and your church are interested in doing then yeah go to endabortionnow.com and you can learn more
1: praise god that's great all right so for our responders if you're not a responder that's our club members uh, we encourage you to uh, to become a responder uh, help support right response ministries and getting the gospel and biblical resources in people's hands as a supplement to the local church Uh, it's a great help to us and as kind of a a gift to you Uh, for our our club members. We have our bonus reel. And so Desi's going to stay on for a little after hours conversation. And so just to whet your appetite, our bonus question that me and Desi will be talking about is, uh, what did you think about Jeff Durbin's sermon at the Fight, Laugh, Feast Conference and some of the backlash that it's received? And so uh, I was actually there in person at the Fight, Laugh, Feast Conference heard the sermon, uh, spoiler alert. I thought it was fantastic, <laughs> so, but some people don't really like it. And Desi is, you know, Jeff is her pastor and her husband's a deacon there at Apology church. And so I, I was going to pick her brain and see what she thought. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, if you're not a responder, become a responder and check out our, our bonus edition as me and Desi talk a, a little bit about Jeff Durbin, the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference.
0: Thanks.